Hello everybody and welcome to JTV. So this interview which we're about to do is uh, was initiated by the guest that we have on today actually approaching me with an idea for a segment and I actually think this is going to be a really fascinating discussion. David Schroger, who's roughly my age, is similar to me in that he's born and bred in the UK, Jewish, and uh, about my age, he's currently an accountant. Um, but one thing that uh, makes him uh, a little bit different to uh, me and a lot of other people is that he um, has a, a stammer, a speech impediment. And he wanted to suggest having a discussion about what it's been like as someone going through life that ha has a stammer. What are some of the challenges um, that he's had to face? Um, some of the growth that he's had to go through as a result of it to help bring awareness to us as well. And also from a Jewish angle, both, you know, what it's like having a stammer when you're engaging in Jewish communal activities, whether it's public speaking or being called up to the, the bimmer in synagogue. Um, and perhaps to reflect also on what it means from what Judaism perhaps has to say about such things. Um, because of course, our greatest leader of all, Moses, had a speech impediment. And I was so interested to hear what his reflections might be on these matters. So David, thank you so much for joining us on JTV. Thank you so much for initiating this discussion. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and hopefully we'll be able to come up with some good stuff some interesting conversations i'm sure we will i have no doubt um why don't you first start off by telling us about your childhood experiences when did you first become aware that you you had a stammer mm -hmm. so for me i don't remember a time where i didn't have a stammer for me it's as long as I can remember, it's always been part of my life, something I've had to deal with. But having spoken to my mum about it, she first noticed me stutter when we were on a family holiday in Bournemouth. I must have been about four or five. And I don't know if that's the first time I stuttered, or if that's just the first time my mom remembers. But either way, from a young age, it's been something I've had to deal with. Um, and as you said, going through school, um, work, various things, it, it, it's been a challenge. Well, can you tell us about some of those challenges, especially sort of in childhood, um, that, uh, that any, any particular memories that stand out for you, good, bad? <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> So it's hard to think where to start. I guess the the main thing that stands out over anyone who stammers over their childhood, especially, is going to school, especially secondary school, um, and meeting all these new people, having to introduce yourself. And for someone who stammers, yeah, your name is usually really hard to say. And it's something maybe we'll get into more as we go on. But as you can imagine, when you start school, first day of year seven, everyone's trying to fit in and make their friends. And it's a challenge. So I was very lucky. I had a lot of friends already at the school. But yeah, meeting people is a challenge. Class presentations, 
being called upon to speak in class. These are all challenges and things that as a fluent speaker is easy to take for granted. Um, but for someone who stammers, it's a challenge day to day dealing with these things. And did you find you just wanted to get it out on the table straight away with, with new people you met or you just felt they would it would be intuitive to them? Or, I mean, what did you do? So it's a good question. And one of the things about stuttering, at least how we understand it on the program I'm a part of, that when someone has a stammer, they're scared of being seen as someone who stammers. So it's almost like a vicious cycle. You try to hide that you have a stammer and inevitably you stammer more. And it's that builds on each other. And for me personally, I'm what we would call a covert stammerer. So I could often get by by substituting words, by missing out sounds. And generally I could get by. When I've asked my friends later on, did they know I stammered? They said, yes, of course they knew. But in my head, I thought I was hiding it quite well. So no, it's not something I wanted to put on the table. Now that I've been on a program called the Maguire program for about 10 years now, it's something that I'm very open about. It's not something I'm ashamed to speak about and we're encouraged to be that way because it helps us. And why, I mean, uh, this may sound like a stupid question, but what, 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 what are you feeling embarrassed about? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's uh, just a condition that you, know, you, you didn't choose to have. There's no shame involved in it. I can, I can see maybe you just feel like it doesn't make me, is it just you just don't feel normal? So I think that's definite, definitely a big part of it. As I mentioned, you, you turn up to secondary school and it's a tough age. Everyone's trying to fit in, not say or do the wrong thing. So to be seen as different is part of the difficulty. And the... Um, the man behind the Maguire program, Dave Maguire, in his book, he speaks about there's a big difference between someone in school who perhaps isn't so good at sports or at maths. Different people have their strengths, but being someone who struggles to speak something that kids can do from three, four years old, that could be quite embarrassing, quite upsetting. So being on the programme, we're really encouraged to not see it that way, to see it as something to take ownership of, to, to learn from, to try and work on, but to as much as, much as possible, see it as something that we can build ourselves on to to improve ourselves on. Did you ever get much feedback from friends if you if, if you were ever uh, open enough or vulnerable enough to say you know you feel a bit um, 
uh, insecure about about this part of you? Like, do, uh, did you did they ever share with you what they felt? Um, because I would imagine to them it was just like some people have different color. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about your experience. Your experience must be a real challenge. But in terms of how they perceived you, I, I would just my own intuition would be like it would, it's like some people have brown hair, some people have blonde hair. You, you know, it's not like a do you know what I mean? I wonder, I wonder what they, what your feedback was. So it's an interesting question. And before I went on the Maguire program, or I should say even before I went on the program, some of my close friends and I would be able to laugh about it, see it as something quite light. And I think I encouraged that, possibly possibly as some form of coping mechanism, mm. which I think was a good thing. I think post Maguire, the difference is I'm still open to it, but, but it's not something I feel a need to make a joke of. I can have a serious chat about it and be open about it. To the extent that some of my friends do ask me questions and they really understand, they're supportive. So I would say some people have bad experiences in school with bullying. I never had that. I was very fortunate. I always had a group of close friends who were supportive. I had the odd comments, but who doesn't when they're at school about something? You know, that's that that that's nothing abnormal. I never felt bullied or anything like that. So I would consider myself fortunate that that was my situation going through school. In this program that you went on to help develop like a like a psychological positivity around this did you meet other people who did get bullied and did have bad experiences yeah some people have extremely traumatic experiences to share especially you know the program is anyone from at the time i was about 15 and probably one of the youngest up to people in their 60s 70s so I would say more so the older generation might have struggled at school. Also people my age. And yeah, people have stories to tell and it's interesting to listen to them. Um, but what's amazing about the course is you, you're in a room with a hundred plus people who stammer. So you, you will get it, you will understand. And so that feeling of support is actually a key part of the program. There's the physical, there's the psychological, what we call weapons. And part of that is having this support network, not feeling alone or isolated, knowing there's other people going through similar things who can pick up the phone and you can speak to and get support from. So that's something quite unique. 
Are there things that you wish you'd known when you were younger that you know now? Things that you might have told other people, family members, friends, teachers that you know yeah. now? And do you, do you feel, how do you feel now mentally about all this compared to how you did, you know, when you were younger? Yeah. So the biggest thing I would say is not seeing a stammer as something to be cured per se and this is something I would say to parents as well if your child has a stammer it's not the end of the world first of all <laughs> don't panic and don't see it as something that needs to be cured by all means, see a speech therapist, try and get support, but be comfortable with the fact that there's a good chance that you or your child will always have a stammer. They can, they can learn to control it. They can learn to mentally be okay with it but there's a very good chance it's always going to be there. Some children might grow out of it, quote unquote, but be comfortable with the fact that there's a good chance they won't. And that's okay. There's, th there's things out there, such as the program I'm involved with, which can help you control it, see it in a positive light, and it won't negatively impact your life if handled in a positive way. Right. So that's the biggest thing I would say I wish I knew, not to see myself as someone who needs to get cured of something. You know, it's, it's not a disease, it's not an illness. It's, as you said, something people have. Some people have brown hair, blue eyes. It's a part of you. And it might be something you want to work on, but that's the case for, I guess, everyone. Did you, find, did you find earlier that you were trying to cure it? Not, it wasn't a conscious decision. I need to cure myself of my stammer, but there was that almost subconscious hope that by seeing this speech therapist or using this technique, it's going to go away. So I think subconsciously, yes. And I guess I wish I would have known from a young age that I wasn't taking the right approach to it. The approach is I can learn to control this. And that, that takes time. It's an ongoing effort, but it's not something that I can expect to disappear. Okay, let's talk a bit about Jewish experiences and how um, your stammer might have uh, impacted some of those things. So do you want to talk to us a bit about, about that and you know, also about what perhaps people in the Jewish community should be aware of when it comes to... Uh, people with the stammer. So, you know, uh, when we were speaking beforehand about this, we talked about, you know, whether you're called up to make a blessing on the Torah, uh, whether it's public speaking at uh, Jewish communal events, giving a Devar Torah, um, or leading a Zimmon when you're leading the bench in Grace After Meals. 
Um, we spoke a bit about some of, some of those things and do you want to just talk, talk us through that? Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned before about names being difficult for someone who stammers. And that's because you can't avoid your name. So if someone asks you any other question, you can pick words you know you're not likely to struggle on. If it's your name, you can't make up a name, right? So inevitably you end up maybe panicking, having difficulty saying it. So you build up all these negative associations that it gets worse and worse and you struggle. Something like a zimmon or being called up um, to recite the blessings before the Torah reading in synagogue is very similar in that there's a set formula of words and <coughs> you can't decide to change that. And if you do, you're going to get heckled. And, you know, it's, <laughs> there's no way out of it. So that's a big element of it. And again, it's, it's something which kids from bar mitzvah age are expected to do. So when you're called up or you lead a zimmon, you're expected to just get on with it, no problem. But when you stammer, it's quite difficult. And a big part of that is the time pressure. You know, you're in synagogue, people are getting on with things or you're at a meal and it's time to bench. You feel under pressure, I need to get on with it. And so that piles on the pressure, you're getting more stressed and you end up, as with names, building up negative associations. Mm. So that's a real challenge. And it's something I've got better at handling, um, something I try and enjoy now, see it as a challenge. And, you know, oftentimes when we're, we're in shul, in a synagogue, and I'll have my call up and I can see my wife, Sophie, so, sat on the other side and we're on the same wavelength. We know what I'm thinking, that I'm a little bit nervous and we'll almost have like a little smile to each other afterwards as if to say, actually, yeah, that kind of went okay. So it's quite nice now that I'm at a point where it's something I can enjoy and something I'd say has been turned into a more positive experience for me. And I mean, you, you mentioned that you were being heckled. I mean, what, what, what would people be heckling? Like, so if I'm stuck on a word and it's taking me a few seconds to get, get the word out, they might start prompting me, saying the word for me. And it's like, I know what the word is. I just need time. <laughs> so, you know, I, now I'm happy to laugh about it. But in the time, it is frustrating. And, presumably uh, the people that do that just don't, don't know that you have a stammer. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know. You know, often and at the often, same time, presumably yeah. you don't you don't want to make an announcement before you know I have a stammer, everyone. You know, <laughs> so so how do you not navigate that? that? Not in that setting. It's 
it's interesting you mentioned though one thing we are encouraged to do on the course is this concept of disclosure so sometimes if i need to make a work call and it's a new client i haven't spoken to before i'll say to them right at the start just so you know i have a stammer bear with me and instantly the pressure piles off much like in this call we're speaking about stammering so there's really no pressure on me and so i'm not going to stammer that much however walking up to the bima in synagogue i guess it's a bit difficult as you said to stop the service and make an announcement um i guess when you're a bit more known in the synagogue people know but that's not always the case so so generally yeah. generally speaking you're encouraged to give disclosure where possible to relieve yeah. the the pressure 100% because as i touched on before part of stammering is the f- fear of being seen as someone that has a stammer so by reversing that completely and actively telling people i've got a stammer you're taking away so much of that fear and the pressure that you put on yourself right is is because uh, it's interesting that you say that anxiety can make it can make it worse um, is could there be is 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 this is a stammer a neurological problem does it does it stem from something in the brain mm. so i'm not qualified to comment on the science behind it as far as we understand it on the maguire program is that it's a psychological issue the fear of speaking that manifests itself physically so that's how we understand it and that that's important for the approach that we use to control it but in terms of the science that's um that's uh beyond me to to really comment on i guess how it works interesting interesting that's to do with fear and that leads nicely into the next area that i wanted to go to was just some of your reflections from you know a jewish perspective and i'm sure reading certain jewish texts I think most poignantly, the one, the, the, the dialogue between Moses and God at the burning bush, where God elects Moses to, be, to lead the Jewish people to redemption to the promised land. And Moses, his sort of final argument is, I'm, I'm not a man of speech. I'm, I'm a, I have kaved uh, pair, I think he says. I'm heavy of, heavy yeah. of speech, have heavy speech. In, I've got a speech impediment. And God said, who makes man's mouth and who makes the deaf or the blind i say you can do this go um i wonder what your reflections were on that and and perhaps any other uh jewish texts or jewish philosophy around this this issue and how it might have influenced your way of approaching judaism and and jewish practice so so yeah so this naturally for me is a really interesting piece of the Chumash to look at, something I relate to on a personal level. And I actually oh, got my Chumash here, came prepared. I, uh, I was having, having a look at this last night to pre- prepare some 
thoughts for this discussion today. And in a Pesikim, God gives Moshe the mission. You're going to go. You're going to redeem the Jewish people. And Moshe's response is, and I'm quoting now from the Chumash directly, Please, my Lord, I am not a man of words, also not since yesterday, nor since the day before yesterday, nor since you first spoke to your servants. For I am heavy of mouth and heavy of speech. So many people interpret this as Moshe having a stammer. And what's interesting is that it's such classic stammerer behavior. Someone who stammers will go to extreme lengths to avoid a speaking situation. And there's so many um, sad yet fascinating stories I could tell you of people on the Maguire program, including myself, of things they've done to get out of the situation. Um, and what's even more interesting is that Rashi brings down on this Pasuk, this conversation took place for seven days. For seven days, God's trying to convince Moshe, go and do what I'm telling you. And for seven days, Moshe is saying, no, like I can't do it. That isn't for me. So <clears throat> I'm no authority on how to interpret these Pasukim, but if we understand it as Moshe having a stammer, I think it's so interesting to, to draw that parallel between people I see in my life avoiding situations and Moshe's behavior here. Um, and yeah, and as you said, God tells him, go, I gave man speech. And so I think there's almost a level of comfort we can take from that in the sense of I guess the idea of emunah and just putting your faith in yourself and God that you can do something if you've been given a challenge in life, that is because you can go and take that on and you can accomplish it. And I guess it's almost quite comforting knowing that myself as someone who stammers and even anyone else that has any form of insecurity. It's comforting to know that we're in good company, that our greatest leader had those same insecurities and yet he accomplished what he accomplished. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, on a, on a personal reflection, there is a level of comfort to take from this. So anyone that goes through challenges in life of, and is, um, you know, has, uh, is believing uh, in God, um, they have to reconcile these, these issues around uh, uh, faith and, and challenge. I just wondered if you had any particular uh, insights from your own life experience on how you uh, grapple with that, this, this, uh, this question. Mm. So I think, again, these are big questions that are beyond me to give a definitive answer but i'm asking for your personal answer yeah okay so what i was going to do is share a couple of things that i have read in the last couple of years that have helped me to reflect on this question and it's only really in the last year or so i've 
really given this much thought, to be honest. Um, so the first idea I would speak about is um, an idea that Jonathan Sachs speaks about. And he spoke about um, Viktor Frankl and his experiences of being through Auschwitz and the Holocaust. And he came up with this philosophy that if there's one thing that can't be taken away from me, it's how I respond to something. And I think it's hard to put that in action. It's something I'm working on. But just one small way, I did feel that just a few weeks ago, just going back to when we spoke about having an Aaliyah being caught up in Shaw, I, um, I got my call up and the first part of the blessing, I never usually struggle with. But on this occasion, I was caught off guard and I got completely stuck. And I got there eventually, but I felt really bad about it because that never usually happens in that part, that part of the blessing. So I got through the first half and I was feeling quite negative, quite down. And I decided whilst the laning was going on, and as it happened, I had read this piece from Rabbi Sachs the evening before. So I thought, right, I can't change what happened. I can choose how to respond. So when it came to the second half of the call up, I had to say the second blessing. I thought, right, I'm going to use my Maguire technique, I'm going to exaggerate, I'm going to take my time, I'm going to enjoy it. And I really did. And it went well. And I had that little smile to Sophie on the other side of the Mechitza, as if to say, actually, yeah, that was quite good. That actually went okay. And it's not easy to do. Um, and I would by no means compare my struggles to what Victor Frankl went through. However, the philosophy, I think, is there for us to all apply in our lives. Um, and the other thing I would touch on is, I believe you had the author of Positivity Bias on the pod a few weeks back. And I read that book a couple of years ago. And I, I would honestly say it made a huge difference to my life. Um, for anyone, just very briefly, who hasn't read the book, it's, it's about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he was renowned for his positive outlook on everything. So in every person, event, situation, being able to find some element of good in that. And they speak about in the book that naturally we have a negativity bias. So for me, I might go to work, have one bad speaking situation, but five really good ones. But I'll focus on the negative and beat myself up about it. And I think we all do that in some way. But the idea of the book and what he's trying to teach us from the Rubber's perspective is there is something good that you can find in that. Even if I had a whole day and my speech was an absolute disaster, what can I take from this 
to make it better next time? How can I use this as a springboard to go on and be better? So those for me are kind of two ways which I guess have helped me to go about challenges um, from two credible, I guess, two credible, two credible figures. Um, and yeah, that's helped me. I think there's something quite universal in what I have to say. Um, and it's not always easy to put that into practice, but it's certainly something I'm working on. Absolutely. And I uh, have read uh, much of Positivity Bias. And my favourite quote of the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, which I actually now have up on my wall, it's just such a simple concept, but you can apply it to every aspect of life. Think good and it will be good. Um, it's, 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 it's incredible how our attitude can shape our reality to such a high extent. Um, yeah. Just lastly, before we finish, and thank you so much for your time and your insights and sharing your own personal story. Did you have any, uh, if you could sort of pick one particular message that you want to leave our audience with, um, with regard to this whole conversation, uh, something for people to be aware of perhaps, um, or that you might want to spread awareness about, what, what would it be? Mm. You said one thing, so <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I would say is the most important. I would say, and we touched on this before, and especially as parents, if your child stammers, don't panic. Don't think you need to get them cured. It's something to work on. And give them space to speak. Don't never get in the habit of speaking for someone who stammers. In the moment, they might appreciate you ordering their food for them or whatever it might be. But long term, it's only detrimental to their mental health. Let them speak, give them time and be patient. Brilliant. Well, David, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all your insights and sharing uh, your personal story with us. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks a lot.